you're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Perhaps the Biden team was never serious about calls for unity because they certainly didn't last very long, did they? As the nation prepares for the January 20th peaceful transfer of power, there's an air of menace hanging over our nation's capital. Instead of pomp and circumstance, D.C. is bristling with barbed wire and HESCO barriers and thousands and thousands of National Guard deployed. What's going on here? It's hard to think that national healing is the Biden-Harris objective while their underlings transform the streets of D.C. into a fortress on lockdown. You've no doubt heard the media outlets talking about how there will be more National Guard deployed in D.C. than in Iraq and Afghanistan, two theaters of war combined. They will share this continuously until the moment Biden is sworn in and then well afterwards, because the whole purpose here is to heighten the public's anxiety of the perceived risk of another insurrection. Oh, what was that insurrection the first time around, you might ask? You mean the one that involved a mostly peaceful protest that then did have a section of it devolve into a riot and one police officer was killed, one protester was killed by direct action of the uh, of law enforcement and also of participants, depending on which one we're talking about. And they were trying to do what exactly? The belief is that they were going to overthrow the government. That QAnon shaman or whatever walking around in a furry hat with a spear was really going to seize control of the Congress. I don't think anybody, including that guy, believed that's what was going to happen. But you see, the theatrics that are underway in D.C. are meant to exceed the actual threat. We've talked about the Capitol Hill riot on January 6th. It was lawless. It was awful. It was stupid. And anyone who broke the law should be held to account. But there was no real effort to overthrow the government by force. Calling that an insurrection is an exaggeration, and it's an intentional one. It's one with real consequences. The unprecedented martial preparations for this inauguration are meant to look as though they're preparing for a foreign military to invade our nation's capital at any minute. What's the real threat here? Internet chatter? Do you remember how we were told constantly during the Obama administration about how there were an unprecedented number of threats online against President Obama? And then you also recall that there were people who somehow lost their jobs for mere criticism of Obama or or for crossing the press when it came to Obama because they create a, a climate of fear in which everyone gets treated as though they're insurrectionists, as though they're far radical extremists. That's why they exaggerate all of this all along. They expand out the net. They want to capture everyone, whether you're reasonable or not. You get lumped in with the crazies, right? And speech equals violence, you see. So your words have to be suppressed. It's not enough merely to say we can have political differences. You are no longer in this country allowed to say what you think happened in the election. They're saying, including the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania, for example, that that is not protected speech. Now, what's the formulation they use for that? Well, if people can say 
that they think the election was stolen, then people will act on that. They'll be violent because of that. And so we have to stop it. You see, this is what they do. If people can say that they thought that Barack Obama was a socialist and a bad president, a leftist, then there'll be other people who decide to act on that and, and write in threats. And the Secret Service then has to investigate it. They lump it all together. They treat it like it's the same. What an effective mechanism of control. They're trying to show us right now what the next four years are going to look like. That's why there are photos of National Guard troops sleeping on the marble floors of the Capitol building. That's meant to get all of this attention. Very few people have asked, are these measures even necessary? Don't they have sleeping pads and sleeping bags? And why are they on the on the cold marble floor of the Capitol building? Doesn't that seem excessive? But the implication is clear. The Democrats want America to see D.C. as a city under siege. And that means that you have to ask the next question. Who is it under siege from? Trump voters. Those are the optics right now. That's what they want people to think and believe about our nation's capital. They are setting up a show of force commensurate with their overblown fears of this recent right wing coup attempt from Trump voters. They've convinced a large number of Democrats that these extreme measures are necessary because unless they were to deploy 26, 27,000 National Guard, plus all the Secret Service and FBI, unless they deploy all of them, another right wing faction will attempt a second overthrow of the United States government. Hold on a second. There wasn't a first attempt at an overthrow of the government. There was a riot. There was a protest that got out of control and turned into, in part, a riot in the United States Capitol that did not last very long, was put down, and for which people are being punished, in some cases punished severely. And keep in mind while all this is happening that there's actually no, there's no intelligence or proof that such a plot against our government is imminent. There might be some online chatter from people who are upset about the 2020 election outcome. They're venting. They're trying to get attention from their buddies. But that's not a, a serious or credible threat. And there are threats all the time. People who work in media get threats. I get threats. What do you do about this? You go on with life. Unless it's credible and actionable, you can't worry about it. And yet what we see here is the elevation of bits of internet chatter to being a, an imminent threat to our very system of government. That's what they want America to think in D.C. right now. And let's not forget the four years of Russia collusion lunacy, since we're talking about conspiracy theories here. That was mainstream among elected Democrats and their corporate media lackeys. Completely mainstream. Russia collusion. You said it. You, you got more clicks, more viewers. There was never any punishment for this. There was never any backlash against it from the system, from the elites, from the apparatus. Look, let's be very clear from a purely security based standpoint. The military preparations this week in D.C. are an overreaction. D.C. is the most heavily policed and patrolled city in America, even during normal times. Just try to cross the street and jaywalk near a Capitol police officer under, under normal circumstances, and you'll see the ferocity with which even the most mundane and trivial rules are enforced in and around 
our nation's capital. And it's understandable that there are some concern. It's understandable that crowd control should be uh, taken into account. Let's also remember that in 2016, Antifa was running riot through the streets of D.C. And there were no major charges brought against them. They lit a limousine on fire in our nation's capital in broad daylight on inauguration day. And we're screaming, not my president. But that was just fine. There was no real worry about that. According to the Democrats, that was uh, a mostly peaceful protest. Um, every American should feel like on a process level, the continuation of our political tradition of the peaceful transfer of power is is important and should be supported. And it almost will be a peaceful, orderly event. Whatever Trump voters think of the integrity of the last election or the policies of the incoming administration, uh, there should be an understanding that this is how it goes. Right. And I know our politics are messy. I know people are angry right now. But we have ways to deal with that. But what the Democrat Party is doing right now is intentionally making the inauguration seem like it's occurring under a state of actual siege of our capital, as though this is 1812 and the British are on the way to burn down the White House. This is nuts. And we know who they blame for this. This is being done for political leverage and almost certainly is going to be the justification for more aggressive surveillance, not against actual extremists or people who are planning violence, but against people with pro-Trump, anti-Democrat views. You see, this is part of the playbook. The Democrats are all posing as aggrieved victims now, terrified for their very existence so that they can make real victims of their political opponents later on. This, unfortunately, is likely to work, which means it's a troubling time for the country. The people claiming to be the oppressed, the people claiming to be the ones that aren't allowed to share their politics publicly without fear are the ones who are actually doing the purges. They're the ones who are actually shutting down news sites, shutting down social media apps and calling for boycotts and the surveillance state to expand to keep an eye on their political opponents. That's what's happening right now. We can all see it. And it's why even the pretense of calls for unity from the Biden-Harris camp ring hollow. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, absolutely. And it's so easily debunked. It's simply false that thousands of dead people voted it is false that there were thousands of ballot signature signatures that were uh, fake. It's also false that Dominion voting machines switched thousands of votes. None of this is true. And all Republican leaders have to do is to say that the election was not stolen. And yeah. if they do that, then they can calm down tension. All you have to do is submit, Congressman Ted Lieu says. All you have to do is bend the knee, say everything you said was wrong, and then we can have unity until we need you to bend the knee again and admit that you're wrong on something else. Why isn't that working better? I, I don't understand. Why, why isn't it uh, really bringing everybody together? Gee, I don't know. Ted, maybe some people still have questions and they don't trust Democrats who lied about the last election for four years and still do to this day. All right, they still 
continue with this nonsense. But it's something that the left wants to hear. They want to believe the Democrats want to believe that they have extended a hand to the other side and we're the ones who are slapping it away. The Democrats want to believe that uh, it is conservatives who are being unreasonable in this whole process and are adding fuel to the fire of our political discontent. And the Democrats are just being great, open minded, patriotic Americans who, you know, come on. We, we see what's really happening. They're putting people on TV night after night, day after day, who are saying that Trump terrorists are more dangerous than Al Qaeda. We played that audio for you yesterday. They're actually saying this stuff that we should increase the surveillance state to look at Trump voters and that, that we should scan the National Guard. We should vet National Guard members for Trumpian sympathies. I'm not exaggerating. Here, here you go. MSNBC, some guy who used to be a senior FBI official, if that's not terrifying enough. Uh, Figliuzzi. Here he is. Play 13. As more and more evidence develops, Andrea, that there were active and former military and police within that insurrectionist crowd, I think this is a very valid precautionary measure. But I want to I want to also caution that this not be some false sense of security. Well, everyone has been checked out by the FBI. Let's understand something. And we learned it painfully during the insurrection. The signs of radicalization really are not that someone has a criminal record or that someone is on a terrorist watch list, but rather that they have online postings that indicate radicalization and an intention for violence. The FBI doesn't have those kinds of resources, nor do they have a time, uh, the time frame in this race against the clock to check out 25,000 people's social media postings, nor may they even have the legal authority to do so. That's my concern. I just want to point out that this was this has been widely reported. I should say this should have been widely reported. It has been reported, but not nearly enough. Hashtag Kill Mike Pence was trending for a while on Twitter recently. Okay, that was a hashtag on Twitter. And I just want to do you you think the FBI is going to track down all those people? Do you you think they're all going to all going to face prosecution for uh, a threat against a federal official in interstate commerce? No, they are not. Oh, wow. It's almost like there's a huge double standard here. Political violence is something the left excelled in through all of 2020. But there was one incident that they can attribute to the right at the Capitol building after the election in the beginning of 2021. And we're supposed to forget who was burning down buildings all summer. We're supposed to forget who was rioting, attacking police. Attacking a federal courthouse is also an attack on our system, for example. Yeah, I know it's not the Capitol building, but it's also, you know, not an outhouse in the middle of a field somewhere that no one cares about. It's a federal building. They tried to light it on fire in Portland, but you don't you don't see any effort to. Oh, no. Antifa is just an idea. They say it's not even a movement. It's not even a real thing. They're not scanning people's social media enough. What what'll, what'll get you uh, what'll get you tossed off social media? What'll get you in trouble these days? You already know. You can't say the election was stolen, which is that that is First Amendment protected speech. But you can't say it. If you do, they'll take action against you. And how far a leap is it from you are now kicked off social media to you are now on the radar? I I just have to remind you of this. They used informants. They used agents, uh, you know, people acting on behalf of the government 
to go after George Papadopoulos, and they used FISA warrants on Carter Page. What, what was that all about? Trying to get after Trump and go after Trump people. But those are completely absurd, fabricated cases. You don't th- and they paid no real penalty for this. A few people, the FBI lost their jobs or their pensions. Nobody went to prison. Andy McCabe, former acting FBI director, lied about it. No real consequences for him. So what's the message? What's the lesson? More importantly, what's the lesson that we take from this? They can get away with stuff like this. But now they're, they're bringing pressure. They're mobilizing all across society for the suppression of what you could say is Trumpist ideas. Okay, they're, they're trying to destroy Trumpist ideas, not even just repudiate Trump the man. And so what are you even allowed to say online? Are you allowed to say that the Russia collusion investigation was a hoax? I'm saying it. But is that now is that do independent fact checkers disagree with me? They're going to shut that down, too. They're going to rewrite the history. In fact, they're even telling us they plan to rewrite our history. Play 16. They will not write their history. We will write their history and their shame will last forever. They are carved like like they are carved like etching into granite, granite onto history's list of villains in this country. Mark Meadows, Lindsey Graham, Kevin McCarthy, Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Mo Brooks, and too many for convention. There will be no forgetting. There will be no forgiveness. We do not seek retribution, but we do seek accountability and justice for an assault and attack on the government of the United States of America that killed six people. And for the first time in the history of our country, some 150 years after the end of the Civil War, the Confederate flag at long last reached the United States Capitol and was paraded through the rotunda as this illiberal fascistic mob desecrated the floors of the House of Representatives and the Senate. They don't get to rewrite what happened. I want to be very clear. They do seek retribution. Don't forget that. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Historically, we will find out who he's beholden to, who pulls his strings. Uh, I would love to see his phone records to see whether he was talking to Putin the day that uh, the insurgents Mm -hmm. uh, invaded our capital. But we now know that not just him, but his enablers, his accomplices, his cult members have the same disregard for democracy. Do you think we need a a 9-11 type commission to investigate and report everything that they can pull together and explain what happened? I do. Uh, Let me, again, uh, to your point of who is he beholden to, as I've said over and over, as I said to him in that picture with my blue suit, right? as I was leaving, what I was saying to him as I was pointing rudely at him, with you, Mr. President, all roads lead to Putin. I don't know what Putin has on him politically, financially, or personally. But what happened last week was a gift to Putin because Putin wants to undermine democracy in our country and throughout the world. And these people, unbeknownst to them maybe, are Putin puppets. They were doing Putin's business when they did that at the incitement of an insurrection by the president of the United States. So, yes, we should have a 9-11 commission and there is strong support in the Congress to do that. You need to hear this because this is what is going to happen. That's Hillary 
and Nancy Pelosi. She's a podcast guest and she's a 9-11 commission. Chardonnay Nancy strikes again. Uh, she's sitting there with Hillary and they're having this chit chat about Putin. Putin's role in this. She's saying she wants to pull the president's phone records. You heard it. Let's pull the president's phone records to see if he's talking to Putin on the day of what happened at Capitol Hill. These people are insane. This has nothing to do with Putin or Russia. Nothing. And yeah, you could always make the case that any day that's a bad day for America, any day of riots or lawlessness, and we know this is true, China also benefits from that. Any country that is an adversary of the United States likes to see unrest, destabilization, dissension, you know, at the, at the deepest levels, uh, divisiveness. Yeah, they benefit from that, but that's not unique to the situation at all. On behalf of Putin, really? QAnon shaman or whatever running around there with the furry hat on? He was doing this on behalf of Putin? Unbeknownst to him, though? Look, this is one of the reasons that I was so, and I know people, the initial reaction was, but Buck, people are so upset, they're so angry. And I said, I know, but this is, you know, it's, it's like the boss in all the movies. You know, this was really, you saw this a lot in, in 90s movies, 90s action movies. There's this, you know, smug jerk of a boss and this is often true in like the cop movies and, you know, the rogue police officer who's trying to get the job done. And and what he really wants is to get up in, in the in the hero's face and and just antagonize him and be so, you know, unfair to him that he finally just, you know, pops him one in the face, punches him right in the jaw. And as much as that may feel like it's a a reaction that's been building up over time. Guess what? Then it's hand in your badge and your gun. You know, now your job's in jeopardy and the smug bureaucrat gets what he wants. I knew that this Capitol Hill riot was going to be used to the maximum by the Democrats. The moment that it started happening, I said, oh, my God, what what is going on here? First of all, it was just it was just upsetting. It should not have happened on, on any level as an American. But beyond that. Uh, I said they're what they're going to take something that's, you know, on the scale of, of let's say on the scale of insurrection, one being a person standing on a street corner with a sign that says, you know, overthrow America by himself and 10 being, uh, you know, battalion level armed insurgency guys with with uh, machine guns and heavy weapons making a move to secure government buildings and, and opening fire. Right. That's a 10. That's a straight up coup. You know, this was like a, I don't know, a four or a five, maybe. Um, and they're treating it like it was a nine. That's the point. They're treating it like it went far beyond. Like this was, we just barely maintained control of the Capitol. They're grossly exaggerating, but I knew they would. Because there's political benefit in it for them. And some of you are saying, Buck, it's a, it's a two or a three. You know, you understand what I'm saying. That they've taken this and made it a uh, they, they've treated it like this was a Trump backed full on. They're calling it an insurrection. I mean, you know what that means. I mean, there's a reason we have something called the Insurrection Act. It's to put down armed rebellions within our own borders. That's what they the, the history that Democrats are writing right now is uh, they they just avoided 
thousands of people on the Capitol on Capitol grounds. They've said uh, kidnapping and even executing members of Congress, you know, opening fire uh, and, and seizing the Capitol building and creating a military confrontation. They're treating it like it's that's what happened. That is not what happened. OK, it was a riot. It was people being stupid. They got rowdy and some people got hurt. Some people got killed. Shouldn't have happened. But this is this is not an open coup effort against the United States government. But because they're setting that narrative in place, the Democrats are, are solidifying that narrative right now as they're also taking power of the government. Their reaction to this, and this is what I'm trying to tell you, this is what I'm trying to warn you of, their reaction, as unfair as it is, as wrong as it is, is going to be based upon treating this as an actual armed insurrection against the United States government. Do you see? Yes, we're going to argue against this and try to convince as many of our fellow Americans as possible. Come on, guys. It, 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 it wasn't what they're saying it is. It was a riot. It was wrong, but it wasn't a real concerted effort called on by the actual president of the United States to overthrow the government. But all the, all the pieces they're putting in place right now, all the things that they're talking about, expansion of surveillance of their political opponents, changing laws and statutes to focus more on right-wing extremism, it's geared toward that. They've now created a narrative and they're going to execute it. Look what they were able to do with Russia collusion. It was a fabrication. It was all based on some guy collecting rumors from people that were Russian disinformation, Christopher Steele, and they used this to uh, to go to the they took this to the top of the FBI. They had the FBI director. They had other people. They had the CIA director all spun up, all freaked out about Russia using Trump as a pawn and there was there must be deeper ties. You just heard Hillary and Pelosi, Clinton and Pelosi talking about this on a podcast. I can't believe Hillary Clinton has a podcast. Who wants to listen to Hillary Clinton? Good God. But they're still going with this. With this whole Putin's puppet thing. It was never true. It doesn't exist. It's not real. But look what they were able to do with that. Now they have something. Make no mistake about it. This gives them an opening. This gives them an opportunity to push for the most tyrannical suppression of conservative speech, ideas, and ideology in my lifetime. That's what we're going into right now. That is the storm that we are steering right into the center of. And people still, I think, are, are stuck in a state of disbelief. They can't imagine that their fellow Democrats would really do that or or perhaps they can imagine it but they think that trump has a plan and trump is going to swoop in and save us no we have to take what trump represented and we have to be the ones we have to be the americans who represent those ideas and that style of pushing back against the establishment the swamp and the elites it's now on all of us you know, Trump, you know, in, in ancient times, sometimes they would send forward a champion. Have you ever seen the movie, um, the, uh, the movie Troy with, uh, you know, Brad Pitt and a bunch of other famous actors? Um, you this was a this was practice sometimes where you would send forward a champion and whoever won the battle would then the other the other army would submit. Right. And depending on whichever side won that one V one battle. You know, I understand for a lot of people, Trump was the champion sent out before the conservative 
and I'm speaking metaphorically here, of course, the conservative army, so to speak, and he was vanquishing foes left and right, and that was the perception. And I'm here to tell you that Trump is no longer in that position. We don't, we don't have one person standing in the front of the rest of the movement who is blazing the trail, who is pushing back, the, and, who, and who is invincible. We had a sense that Trump was invincible. I understand politically they could not stop him. And now they just did. And we can talk about the election and integrity and what and and the media and the suppression of the Hunter Biden story and the suppression of the truth about covid lockdowns, all these different things. And we will. But we also need to take stock of where we are right now. Who's standing for conservative values, ideas, constitutionalism in this country right now? You are. It's up to all of us. There is no hero. There is no champion right now who is the great defender of any of this. Perhaps one will emerge, but in the meantime, it's on you. It's on me. And it requires us to understand exactly what we face from the opposition because they are mobilizing to use the apparatus of the state, to use the media's bitterness about Trump for four years. You understand, they don't just want dominance in the ratings back they don't just want uh the the ability to to be the narrative creators they want payback they want to go after people that they think stole their glory from them for years here that's what's happening this is why all the deplatforming and everything else that's going on is is something we must pay attention to and of course while they do all this there are still some who are pretending that yeah Democrats are calling for unity. I I will say this. If you submit, you will be unified in a sense. You'll just give up who you are as part of that unity. That's the choice they offer you. Just admit that everything you believed in was wrong. Every vote that you cast for the last four years or every idea that you shared that was in any way echoed by or perhaps you were echoing Trump uh, Trump's ideas. Anything you did with that, you have to pay penance for that now. You have to repudiate it. You are totally wrong. Bend the knee. Beg forgiveness. And they're hoping you don't figure out that they still want to destroy you even after you do all that. But maybe they'll let you think you've got unity for a day or two. But they still want to make you give up that part of yourself. Abandon those ideas. Admit you were, you were wrong and you were less than for thinking what you did. That's that's the unity the left is calling for right now. So you do have a choice. I have a choice. We all do. I could I could turn right now on the whole Trump movement. Oh, my gosh. Become one of these celebrated former conservatives. You know, I, I'd spend six months. Oh, I'd get a book deal. I'd spend six months going on MSNBC and CNN. And, oh, Buck, you know, all of us. What made you come to realize that everything Trump ever said or stood for was awful and evil and wrong? You know, tell us more about this. Liberals at home saying he's still disgusting and I hate him. But this sexton guy at least woke up to Trump now I say, no. I don't I don't I don't back off the ideas. I don't back off what the movement stood for one bit. I just have never put that much stock or faith in any one man or any one person. As as the embodiment of a political movement. This is a movement. It is not a cult. And the movement continues on. That's where our focus has to be now. What are the ideas that really mattered? What can we do to support them today? Because the other option is submit, bend the knee. 
you know, and if you want, tell all, tell all your liberal friends about how you've, you've totally changed your outlook here and they'll pat you on the head for a day or two. And then a week later, they'll still think that you're some, some rube, some easily fooled buffoon who fell, who fell for the Trump spell. I say, no, bring it. We're not done yet. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. And so I just want Senator Schumer to understand that he is the right person at this time for this moment to deliver the relief that hopefully uh, President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris will bring forward with the support of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer so that we can heal this country. And he is well poised to do that job extremely well. Yeah, Schumer. When I think heal the nation, when I think bring everybody together, the first name that comes to mind is Chuck Schumer. Sure. That's uh, that's one way to go. That's that's one approach with all of this. Uh, let's let's hear from the man himself. He, he's telling us let's heal. But first, let's just continue to trash the former president. Play seven. Well, it's a tremendous responsibility. And there's so many things we have to do to make this country better. Um, we have to recover from all of the detritus that the Trump administration has left. But more, even more important than that, we have to recover from the COVID crisis and then move America forward so that every working person, every family, every person in America feels they have a real chance to advance. That has been, that feeling hasn't been very strong in the American people over the last while, and we must do everything we can uh, in our power to restore it. Is it a well, I'm glad Joe Biden's in the White House uh, either way. <laughs> and, but the bottom line is I will, as majority leader, I'll try to help him get his agenda done. <sighs> Schumer in charge, Pelosi in charge, Biden-Harris in charge. And I, I think you're going to hear the, the Biden administration is going to be a hyphenated administration. You know, people take a hyphenated name once they marry something and you know, I mean, I, I don't know. That's not 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 my not my move. Oh, then again, I've never been married. But uh, it's good. It's not just the Biden administration. It's going to be the Biden Harris administration because she's going to have a, a much larger role in this because I still believe they're going to pass this off to her. I don't know how soon I've said to you, maybe before the midterms, but I, the more I thought about it, it might make more sense to wait until after the midterms. And that way. Yeah. And Biden at one point said he was only going to run for one term. This has now been all forgotten. But there was a there was a time at which he was kind of admitting, yeah, I'm really old and I don't know if I can do this, but, you know, I'll pass it off term two. Now it's oh, no, he's going to last all eight years. I, I just don't think. Look, the percentages are not on his side that he'd be in a physical capacity to go eight years from where he is right now. But you see this this there's this generation of politicians who never Never want to not be important and be powerful. Never want to let it go. They'll they'll be the one, you know, they'll they'll go into their hundreds if they can. I mean, Pelosi certainly is one of them. Same thing with Joe Biden. You're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Harsani time, everybody. Our friend David Harsani from National Review in the mix. Go to nationalreview.com to read his latest. Uh, David, good to have you, man. Let's jump right into the, the free speech issue. 
I, I do not think it is even a little bit of an exaggeration. In fact, I would just posit right now that this is the most dangerous time for the suppression of speech in the country in my lifetime. I think even more so than post 9-11 because of of the implications of what's being said right now. What do you make of it? Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's the worst time for free speech since maybe Woodrow Wilson in the First World War Sedition Act and stuff like that. I, I think that uh, people have figured out a way around the First Amendment um, to suppress millions of people and the things that they say. Uh, I'm not sure that I have any sort of good uh, you know, I- ideas on how to stop them, but I do know that people who are whose inclination is to shut down speech do not care about free expression. They don't care about the First Amendment. I think I've noted this on the show before, but simply saying I believe in the First Amendment doesn't mean anything if you don't believe in the values that gird all of that. You know, lots of places don't have a First Amendment. That doesn't mean we don't believe in their freedom of speech as well. It's a value that we share, but we don't share it anymore. We have CNN and and Oliver Darcy and uh, other people like that who are just authoritarians who want to shut down their competitors and want to shut down people who say things they don't like. And the media is the biggest offender, but I think the Democratic Party is pretty bad. And um, I think it bodes very poorly moving forward. I I think there are people I I think there are a lot of uh, of of powerful corporations and voices who would very much like to return to a time when. There was, I mean, they, they don't view it as I think people have gotten used to Fox News being dominant in ratings, for example, and cable. But there are a lot of folks out there who, who remember, you know, if you work at CBS News or something, you remember that there was no Fox News until 1996. And we could go back to a country in which there is no full spectrum distribution uh, conservative cable channel. I mean, they're, they're already also going after Newsmax and, and OAN and pressuring the cable providers uh, with and, and unlike Fox, those are t- those are two channels that they might actually be successful uh, trying to get them to get carriage pulled. I mean, that's and and, and other cable uh, personalities are calling for this. They of course they are. Yeah. And listen, I, I don't you know, the, the argument is these people are saying dangerous things like the election was stolen. First of all, I don't care that they're dangerous things. I, I think you should be able to say whatever you want, whatever you want. As long, and if, if you're saying something that's slander, someone should sue you, you know, or, 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 or whatever. So uh, I don't care if there's a cute and non cable network. Right. I think they deserve to be on the air now if people because people are always like trying to make, you know, offer some line on what's acceptable and not. That's not the point. It's a neutral principle. I am for free speech. And just because it's difficult to defend doesn't mean I'm not for it. And uh the idea that we and like you mentioned, they're going after OAN or whatever it's called, but they're also going after podcasts. I saw I think I forget where it was. USA Today had a piece about how podcasters are finding a uh, like a loophole in which to speak about certain things. Is that a loophole to speak about certain things? You're just an authoritarian censor. <laughs> the loophole. There is no loophole. The loophole is the one that they are using to shut down speech they don't like. And um, so anyway, it's just a dangerous way to think about the world, to start saying this is acceptable and this isn't. You know, people always mention yelling fire in a theater. You can yell fire in a theater. That was from a Supreme Court decision around World War One that allowed uh, Woodrow Wilson to throw social, anti-war socialists into jail. Yeah, Shank, Shank, v, Shank v. U.S., it was pure authoritarianism. And the Holmes decision, exactly. the Holmes decision was an abomination. <laughs> but people still yell this like it's an argument ender. I know. So anyway, 
So we're in agreement. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, I, I'll give you an example even today. You know how I feel about lockdowns. And, and I'm sorry, it, it is my my um, my view of this has always been it. If we're even having and I just mean in general, if society's even having a debate about how effective lockdowns were. That means they weren't effective because we got put into this with the belief that it would be in, it would be it would be clear. I mean, you saw the Atlantic and all these different experts. These people were writing in major journals and publications back in May and June. You know, we'd have a 60 percent, 80 percent reduction in the virus. And, and now you look at places like California, all time record. Right. I mean, so it, if it's not obvious that lockdowns are really effective, they're clearly not effective enough to justify. And by the way, I would argue even an even more extreme position than that, but clearly not effective enough to justify the abuse of power and authority. But but here we are. I was just trying to tell uh, I was just trying to tell people my thoughts on this. And and David, I got a um, I got dinged on on uh, Facebook for writing after covid let's mask and put this in quotes after covid let's mask up during flu season two it's already starting just a few voices here or there are in support of this comment but it will grow and grow until mask up forever it's the polite thing to do is the new mantra there are people right now who are starting the you know guys we probably should actually wear masks after this, because it's so effective and we want to stop the flu as well. Look what we've done to flu cases in this country. I'm making a an argument about a future policy. I'm not even negating or, or questioning mask effectiveness. I'm just saying that and I get a, you know, this is dinged for, uh, you know, you have to go to the CDC for more information. And, and the way this works now is I'm I'm going to be shadow banned on Facebook for the next month. For what? For, for pointing out what is true, there are people advocating for masking even after the mass vaccination happens. The argument for masking after you've been vaccinated is insane. But people are making that argument still. Yeah. I mean, I don't even understand. Like, you can't say the election was stolen. Like, why can't I say those words? It's ridiculous. But on the mask thing, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty radicalized on this now in the sense that I'm, I'm sorry that I supported any lockdowns ever at all. I mean, I just don't think the government has the right to tell you not to go to church or not to go to your business. If people want to lock themselves down, that's their business. If people want to tell you not to, to want to tell you to wear a mask in their place of business, that's fine. But I shouldn't be forced to do it, uh, you know, to be fined if I'm walking in the street, et cetera. There's just no government has no power to do that. And I mentioned it again on this show. You have governors who act like dictators. And I mean that in the most literal sense. In the Roman Empire, they had dictators in times of emergencies that had full power to do whatever they wanted. And that's exactly what we have now for almost a year in states, in Michigan and Virginia and uh, in other states, New York. It's just un-American. And I just can't believe that the Supreme Court allows them to do that. There is just no precedent for it in American history. I'm furious as well. That not only has there been all this overreach and, as you point out, the tyranny of, of these governors and primarily Democrat governors, although there are some Republican governors that have really been way too willing to go along with the uh, the Fauci consensus on this stuff. Uh, that guy, Dr. Fauci, I mean, I, I don't care what anybody says. He, he's a disaster. I mean, this guy is not helpful. His ideas are not sound. He, he does not have good judgment, but he's used as this. He, he's almost this, uh, you know, this this. Uh, you know, superhuman figure that we all if you challenge him, you're like, this guy was wrong about 
the risks and spread of HIV for years and years when he was a top public health authority about that. That was decades ago. He's been wrong about this time and time again. Uh, but you see in Europe, David, like there was just a, a protest in the Netherlands and there's a photo of a guy jumping on this police machine that's essentially like a water cannon, you know, anti-protest uh, vehicle. And he's on he's on the windshield. This protesters jumped on the windshield. He's, you know, putting out the middle finger uh, to this guy. And I was like, where is that in this country? They've had huge anti-lockdown protests in in Spain, in Germany, in the Netherlands. I mean, in the UK, you know, thousands of people gathering together. Here in America, we just sort of sit around like, yeah, you know, maybe one day the vaccine. Well, what's it going to take? I don't know. That's an interesting that's an interesting thought. Maybe people are less inclined to listen here as it is in many places. So I don't I don't know. You know, when you have urban areas with tons of people, it probably becomes more, uh, you know, apparent or maybe they're enforcing it harsher. But those are just guesses. I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why Americans aren't more upset by this. I think they've been there's a lot of scaremongering going on. And again, I'm not diminishing what's happened. We know what's happened. Hundreds of thousands of people have died. But the idea that we should just shut everyone down when mostly this is a disease that affects older people, we could have protected them. We could have protected other you know, parts of the population that were susceptible to it and allowed us, you know, allowed the economy to move on and to go on. And it just didn't happen that way. And you're right with St. Fauci, you know, he uh, my my problem with him isn't even that he's wrong about a lot of things. My problem is that he treats people and American citizens as children like he will tell us, you know, oh, I had to say that. Uh, what was it? Uh, um, herd immunity is going to be at 65 percent because I didn't want to scare people and say it was 90. Like, that's not up to you. You're a public official. You need to tell us the information that you have. And then we make decisions. This is why I hate when people say scientists should be running things. Scientists uh, do not balance out, you know, in their thought process, all the things that go on in society. It is dangerous to allow scientists Saint, to run things. It's dangerous to allow them to lie to people. St. Fauci, David, the, the, the original sin for me of St. Fauci was and I do not I believe this is BS. I do not believe that this is even really true. He was dismissive about the public wearing masks and we're told because he didn't want us to all run out and buy the N95 masks and there wouldn't be enough for healthcare providers. That means th this would be like someone telling you as a doctor, don't take that antibiotic cuz I'm worried that somebody else who might need it more to save their life won't have it. That is what he did. That is immoral. It is wrong. But he gets this pass on it. He gets this pass. And you know what the truth is? It's because he knew that the data up until then and he knew that the science up until then did not support the trade off of what he now tells us is obvious. But he can't say that. So he says, oh, I made this. What, what this idea that he lied to us for our own good about masks. This is awful. But people think that this is an excuse. Like they're children. And, and, you know, and, and there's, there was a piece in the Times, I think, today or yesterday where they talk about vaccines and how a lot of these public officials in government are downplaying the effectiveness of vaccines. Yep. For I don't know why, because they think that, you know, people are going to act irresponsibly or whatever. That's not up to them. We act. This is a free country or was. And we can act in any way we feel like within the law. And it's not for them to treat us like children. The next. It also. It also. Go ahead. Go ahead. David. Policy because. Yeah, I'm sorry, because politicians are not as bright as everyone thinks, I hope. And uh, or I mean, I hope they don't think that, but they aren't bright and they make policies on what Fauci says. 
the governor of Michigan is not bright. She just does whatever Fauci says. So if he's lying, she's basing public policy on his lies. And that's dangerous or not just him, other CDC officials and government officials. The And we're speaking to David Harsani of National Review. Read his latest. He's a clear thinker and he actually cares about free speech at nationalreview.com. David, the next the next fight and you're already seeing this start to happen. And because you this comes comes up in that New York Times article, this idea that we should all mask up after we're vaccinated, that is rooted in a premise that they'll start to lose control of making people mask. And so maybe then we'll all be safer if we all mask until we're all sure. But but on an individual basis, it is irrational. It is irrational to tell someone they have to wear a mask after they've been vaccinated because of, I mean, in the Pfizer trial, one out of 30,000 people actually got sick, didn't die, got sick with COVID after being vaccinated. If you have a one in 30,000 chance of getting sick, which means a one in 30,000 chance of even getting it and passing it to anybody else. So now that's not, you know, now you still have to wear, these people are insane. I mean, this is crazy. They like to control you and, and, you know, they're going to say, why is, uh, you know, why is it OK that 50,000 people a year die of, of, of uh, flu when we can just stop flu and put masks on as if we're supposed to walk around being safe from all things all the time? It's ridiculous. As soon as I get that vaccine, I'm not wearing a mask anymore. Um, I hate wearing a mask now, and I, I don't think it's good for society to wear a mask. I, I don't want to get into the specifics, but just interactions with people are weird. No, it's dehuman. It dehumanizes. It dehumanizes all of us. There's a reason why right. the Taliban dresses women like beekeepers. There's a dehumanization to the depersonalization of your appearance in this way. It is not good for society. And and I, I mean, this is a I'm, I'm gearing up for this fight. I'm going to get banned from social media for it, though, David. I'm going to get kicked off of platforms for saying post vaccine, you should not have to mask. And Fauci, if he had any any guts whatsoever, would say that. But we still have about 40 percent of New York City schools closed down because he doesn't have the guts to say it's outrageous that they still have schools shut down. He won't. He doesn't want to offend the lib CNN watching consensus. But have you have you noticed the sites a shift in sort of the shutdown stuff since Biden won the election with Cuomo saying we can't go on doing this forever and oh yeah other liberals. I think you're going to yeah. I think now because it's not useful to them and people call me a conspiracy theorist about that this, but I, I don't think I am. Um, I think that you'll see people being more positive, putting more positive spins on things, wanting to open things up. They don't want the economy failing under Biden. And uh, but they do want to keep controlling you. So I, I think that will be interesting, especially with the masks. But more more than that, the speech, the speech bothers me more than anything. Um, there's no reason I shouldn't be able to say the election was stolen because you know what? Maybe it was. Maybe one day it will be. And what I can't say those words because it offends someone. It's 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 also this sort of they've used the Capitol riots to sort of smear everyone. Jake Tapper does it all the time on CNN to smear everyone as some kind of radical conspiracy theorist for having any questions that do not comport to his worldview. And uh, and it's it's a it's it's a way to sort of chill debate. And I think it's it's a it's dangerous. Harsani, we're in this we're in this one together, my friend. Thank you so much for joining us. Nationalreview.com. Read David's latest. Please support his work. Follow him on social media before both of us get kicked off. David, thanks so much. Thank you. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. However, I have said to Joe Biden that I do feel that when he lay out his agenda 
and fight participation from the other side, if they're going to be recalcitrant, if they're going to throw up roadblocks, go on without them. Use your executive authority if they refuse to cooperate. That is what Abraham Lincoln did to start dismantling slavery. That is what uh, Harry Truman did to start the integration of the armed services. All these things were done by executive order. So you can do big things, and you can do great things, and you can do things that are lasting. Nothing has been more lasting than the Emancipation Proclamation. Same thing with integrating the armed services. So I think that Joe Biden should lay out his proposal, invite uh, cooperation. If they give it, work with them. If they don't give it, work through them. Just steamroll the Republicans. It's a Democrat member of Congress there, Clyburn, telling you just Joe Biden, he's got he's got a pen and a phone now and he's going to use it. Don't worry about anything that the other side wants or arguments that they're making. They they come to your side. They do what you want or you run over them with an executive order. They take your uh, they take your policies as as their own. They submit. They bend the knee or we want the super executive once again. No, notice. You know, it was terrible when when Trump used executive orders. Oh, it's tyranny. Now they're like, yeah, Biden, use all those executive orders. Same thing with Obama. It feels like nobody these days in the in the political establishment really has much in the way of, of principles, but particularly on, on on the left, they don't even pretend anymore. And it doesn't even matter. Right. Whatever's good for them in the moment, whatever elevates their power and prestige, that is the principle. Everything else is just standing in the way of that. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Carol Markowitz over at the New York Post with an excellent piece here. Beware the experts who want lockdowns to go on forever. Let me give you a little bit of this one. This is this is going to be really important. This matters to all of us. It matters to the health of the economy. It matters to our individual freedoms and rights and liberty. It matters to whether or not the Constitution even counts anymore. And we, I think, have gotten, we've gotten it in our heads that we're much closer. We are much closer to uh, liberation from lockdowns than we really are, especially when you see some of the arguments that are being made right now. Here they go. Quote, now that the COVID-19 vaccines are here, it's time to celebrate the beginning of the end of this plague, right? Not so fast, Carol writes. The media and expert classes seem determined to make permanent the pandemic's abnormal way of life. In December, a New York Times piece, here's why vaccinated people still need to wear a mask, kicked off the permagloom. Vaccinated people will still need to wear masks because those with high viral loads could be even worse spreaders. The paper quoted Dr. Yvonne Maldonado of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Even worse spreaders. That's horrible. It's also horribly misleading. I know because I read the rest of the article. The fear arises from studies on monkeys, which found that some vaccinated monkeys didn't get sick, but still carried the novel coronavirus in their noses. But wait, those monkeys were intentionally exposed to massive amounts of virus and still had less virus than unvaccinated animals. While Cornell virologist John Moore told The Times, ah, well, maybe don't intentionally expose yourself to massive amounts of the virus then. A continual drumbeat of opinion keeps repeating that vaccination will change little or nothing. The new line is that we must be we will be wearing masks indefinitely and we should really be wearing more serious masks and certainly more than one. 
Masks are going to be with us for a really long time, Alicia Schechter Perkins, a Boston University physician, told Chalkbeat, especially because we know kids are not going to be vaccinated right away and masks are a really strong protective measure. No, kids won't be vaccinated right away. That's in part because kids seldom contract COVID-19, very rarely have severe cases and aren't major spreaders. Across much of Europe, kids under 12 don't wear masks. Forcing two-year-olds to wear them indefinitely is sheer American madness. End quote. Great piece in the New York Post from Carol Markowitz here. Um, I've been telling you that there is a mass hysteria at work with the American approach to COVID, and I'm right, and I've been right all along. And with more data, more time, I'm, I'm even more certain of that rightness. Uh, this is this is insane. We are we are now because of the heightened anxiety and the media panic mechanisms around this. We are accepting a future in which the infinitesimal possibility of covid infection for anyone will still be grounds for covid restrictions on everyone. This is nuts. This is from people who aren't as smart as they think they are, who want to control other people and who live with this constant anxiety of, oh, my gosh, I I may not be guaranteed to live to 100. You know, a lot of what I've seen here is that there are some of us who understand that we could die any day, that any of us could die in any day. And we're doing our best and we're trying to live the most you know, purposeful, decent and worthwhile lives we can with the time we've got. But there are no guarantees. But there is certainly a mentality that I think is prevalent among a lot of leftists, among a lot of libs, a lot of atheists in particular of that set who believe that, oh, the government will keep them safe and protect them. And they're, they're terrified of the notion of any threat to their lives. And, and anything the government says that will protect them, they're willing to go along with. This is fear. This is a kind of day-to-day cowardice, really. And unfortunately, it has infected the public mind here to the degree that those who are just terrified all the time of the virus are shouting and screaming and making so much noise about it that the rest of us have to operate under their rules. Even though I've said all along, if somebody wants to live in a bubble, if they want to take extreme precautionary measures for themselves, they have that right. But they have the right now to force everybody else to do that, too. On, on what on what basis? You know, there are other respiratory diseases that are out there, like the flu, as you know, that kill people every year that kill immunocompromised individuals. And this, this is starting to be something along the lines of some people can have a, a lethal reaction to peanuts as an as an allergy. They can go into I think it's anaphylactic shock, right? They go into shock from peanuts. And so now when you get on airplanes, they'll say, well, you, you, no one can open peanuts because there's a severe peanut allergy on board. So what if they said we need to eradicate peanuts from all of society? You can't have them anywhere. You say, well, how many people really die from peanut allergies in any given year? And then you say, well, how many, how many people, you know, peanut farmers and how many uh, different, you know, businesses and, you know, Mr. Peanut and different brands and how many millions of dollars and thousands of jobs are, are all tied into this? And I don't know, maybe maybe a couple of people die every year from peanut allergies in the U.S. I'm, I'm not sure of the numbers. I know it's not that big. But it's about saving one life, don't you see? So we have to ban them everywhere like we're banning nuclear waste. Because a few people have that. Now, I understand I'm taking this intentionally 
into the realm of the absurd, but it's because what you are seeing now with the arguments about forever masking and forever lockdown, those are absurd arguments. And they're based on a similar line of thinking to what I'm telling you with the eradication of peanuts from the whole world because there are people that have peanut allergies. Once we are once you are vaccinated, well, let's say with the Pfizer vaccine, one in 30,000 people got really sick from the Pfizer trial, like actually had a bad case of covid, um, you know, f- f- about four percent ish had some form of covid much less. OK, much less. This is across 30,000 people. Uh, so so now if you're if you're going to tell me that, you know, that the, the chance is less than five percent that you could even get covid and think about this. You're going to be around other people if they're vaccinated, too. This is now 0.5 percent. I'm sorry. This is now five uh, percent and five percent. You start doing the math on this. And it's it's, you know, one in 20 and one in 20 that you would even if exposed to covid, that's one in 400 that the second person is going to actually have a risk of contracting covid. I mean, you, and th- now you play this out. This is how herd immunity works. So it's not just that you are very unlikely to get it, but somebody around you also has the vaccine is very unlikely to get it. And this keeps playing out. But it's never going to be entirely zero is the point. You know, there, there's there are going to be people out there who have the you know unfortunate reality of a severe peanut allergy where if it even has particles in the air, they could go into shock. We can't protect people 100 percent and we shouldn't be forced to try. But that is what is happening right now with the latest mentality. You're seeing it. You go go to a search. You'll find it online. People saying, you know, because so so here's where we've gone to. I used to say, why don't we mask up for the flu and never have if it's so effective and so important and if it saves just one life? People that were mask maniacs were saying, shut up. This is worse than the flu. That's a That's just a you're a flu, bro. That's irrelevant. And, and, and it's not irrelevant because it's the exact argumentation they're using applied to a different circumstance. So they just shouted it down because it was inconvenient, because clearly what it shows is a long history of society accepting that we cannot stamp out entirely influenza and influenza deaths and that it's not something that we should try through the measures that we're talking about here. If we got a vaccine, great. And we do take vaccine for flu year in and year out, but it's only, you know, 40 to 60% effective depending on the year. But we under, we don't make people mask. We don't shut down businesses. We don't do all these things for the flu. And we pointed that out to show that, see, we lived in a society where we understood that there will be some risk to living your life from some diseases that are out there. And they didn't like that because it was inconvenient for their argument. So they, they said, shut up, don't talk about that. Now, you know what they're doing now that we're getting to the end of this pandemic, probably in the next six months, we'll, we'll actually get to vaccination at the level that we need. Uh, but now we're coming to the end. This is saying, yeah, you know what? We probably should mask up for flu, too. That will save even more lives. Flu virtue signaling masking is now a serious thing, and it's going to gain steam, too. It's going to gain steam because it goes to this part of people's brains where they think I'm a good person. I like science. I'm one of the smart people. So I. Uh, everyone should have to do this, too, for the flu. And I would say that everybody then should also have to do this for the common cold. Some people who are immunocompromised, not a lot, 
But some people who are immunocompromised are uh, at risk of getting they can develop, you know, viral pneumonia from what starts out as a as a common cold infection. That can happen. A cold can get much worse, especially if you're severely immunocompromised or you're elderly. So we're all going to be wearing masks all the time now forever. And, and when do you wear them? When they tell you to wear them. So remember, it's not as though we even get the benefit of perfect, continuous mask usage. That's not that's not the reality, which is why these lockdowns and mask policies have obviously failed. It's because you wear them until you sit down at a restaurant. You wear it until you adjust it. You wear it until you start coughing or whatever. And, you know, now you now you're now you're just breathing air like everybody else or you've coughed your germs into the air with everybody else around you. Right. So it's, it's always this highly, highly imperfect mandate that's been put in place, as we know. But now they're going to be arguing in favor of it. Let me go back to this uh, this piece that Carol Markowitz writes in The New York Post. Meanwhile, Gavin Yame, a professor of global ho- uh, health and public policy at Duke, urges people to wear N95 high filtration masks under cloth masks. Who decided we should aim for a risk-free society? If two masks are better than one, why not three, four, or five? Why not eight? For that matter, why don't we reduce speed limits everywhere to 10 miles per hour indefinitely, a move that would dramatically reduce car accidents? Some experts seem almost spiritually invested in forestalling a return to normalcy, and so does the incoming Biden administration, end quote. Those of you who listen to this show know that I have been saying for months, for months and months, just wait. They're going to say you're wearing the wrong masks. Just wait. They're going to tell you it was really the N95 mask. Oh, how did I know that? Those of you who listen to the show know that again for months I've been saying just wait. They're going to tell you you really need two masks, two masks better than one. And to that, I just say, wow, we've lost so many people to covid and they're not willing to go to three masks. I, I are they not willing to take this seriously? I'm a triple masker. You know, this is like turning into the those razor blades where it went, you know, four blades, two blades, three blades, four blades, eight blades. You know, I mean, how close a shave do you really need? Right. Well, that's what we're doing with masks. And I saw it coming. If you look in my Twitter feed, although I know they're trying to purge everything now, but I'm on record with this. I have been telling you they will say these things. And now they are being said publicly by health experts. How did I know? Because I know what these people are doing. I know what their mentality is. I understand the game that they're playing. I understand that they are now they're invested in this because God forbid we all figure out that what they've been telling us to do all along just made us all more depressed, more harassed and did not bring anywhere near the health benefits they pretended. And I'm talking about things like locking down millions of people from their from their offices, telling them not. They told you not to see your family over Thanksgiving. They told you it was reckless to see your loved ones over Christmas. And and then they went and did those things. But they still say it publicly. Why? Why? And the establishment, the social media companies who have benefited tremendously, Amazon, Google benefit tremendously from lockdown. Their bottom line, I mean, as well as just the general general users and and activity online, they are full in on suppression of what are clear and obvious truths. Now, they won't let someone like me even say Just wait, because if I can predict the stupidity of the mask mandates, if I can predict 
what the mask maniacs are going to say next. And I have. Then people start to say, hold on a second. Why does this guy? He doesn't have an MD. He doesn't have a science background. Why does he know? Because I understand what these authoritarian tyrants are doing. I know what they're up to. I see it. And I understand what their incentives are here. Their incentives are not to keep you healthy. Their incentives are their own reputation, power, and control. That is what they care about. And they will not, they will not budge on these issues because the moment there's an opening, you say, well, hold on a second. You, are we or are we not allowed to make risk assessments for what's acceptable in society? Uh, it's, it's appalling what they're doing right now. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know what it's like where you are across the country because we're in now 200 stations and you know we're, we're, in, we're in cities all over the place and some cities are better than others when it comes to this. But I, I just I know I'm in New York City until I moved to Florida and producer Mark and I are already talking about how we can make that happen. But uh, I, I'm, I'm in New York City, so I know what's going on with the school system here. And, and they're now also misrepresenting what's going on because it all looks so terrible, uh, given what the science and the, and the numbers tell us. De Blasio, the worst mayor in America. Some of you fight me on that one and you say your mayor is worse. And if you live in Portland uh, or you live in Seattle, maybe Denver, I don't know. But you live in some of these cities. Yes. OK, Los Angeles. You, you can argue with me about your mayor being worse. And I'm, I'm open to that. But uh, the, the New York City mayor is, is a unique level of awful in, in many ways. And he says that the vast majority of schools here are open, right? That the covid pandemic hasn't forced them to lock down. It turns out that three hundred and forty four schools in New York out of eight hundred and fifty schools are closed. So 60 percent of schools are open. That's the vast majority. I mean, it's a majority. But when you say vast majority of schools are open, people are thinking, I, at least in my head, I'm thinking 80 percent, 90 percent. That's the vast majority. 60 percent. So that means 40 percent of New York City schools are closed right now for covid reasons. Students are not learning. They're doing the Zoom stuff at home. It doesn't work for a whole lot of kids, especially uh, low income and minority children. They suffer the most because of this. And yet they, they say things. And look, it's intentionally dishonest. Oh, a vast majority of schools are open. No, they are not. A, a bare majority of schools are open when all of them, 100% of them should be because we know beyond doubt, and even Fauci, that little quizzling bureaucrat, has to admit this, kids are at almost no risk and almost never spread it. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. America, in Trump we trust. She joins us now. She's a columnist as well, and Colter.com for her latest. And it's 2021. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Good to talk to you, Buck. So, Anne, people keep asking me a question that I want to ask you. Um, and I have people all over the country asking it to me. I get emails. I get phone calls. I, uh, you know, Listeners and, and readers of what I do. And they're saying, what do we do now? And they'll even point to, say, amnesty, which Biden's openly talking about. And they say and, and they're asking, what what do we what's our next move? I don't have a good answer right now, and so I'm hoping you have a good answer because it feels right now like the conservatives in this country are about to get steamrolled on at least a few issues. Yes, 
Um, there, <laughs> there must be something um, psychologically wrong with me because <laughs> no matter how bad things get, I always... I always can see the sunny side. <laughs> I, I see the ray of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I, I mean, conservatives are going through a grieving process right now. Uh, at least we probably won't carry it on and invent crazy Russian conspiracy theories for the next four years. We'll probably work through it. Um, and I think that's really, that explains the absolute rock-bottom support Trump has. Um, which is quite low. Uh, I, mean, I mean, there are different polls right now. So some show his support at like 29%. The greatest poll I saw, uh, and something I've been pushing since immediately after the election, I gave some college speeches, I wrote a couple columns about it. The way forward is Trumpism without Trump. Um, I know people, some some Trumpsters, <laughs> some loved it, um, have been a little more annoyed with me for four years pointing out that he's not keeping any of his promises. Um, I was completely convinced he was going to lose for um, during 2017, 2018, 2019. Then 2020 came along, and whoa, the Democrats, it's, it's the theme of my book, Resistance is Futile. Just when you think Trump is dead... The, the left overreacts and, and, and brings, brings his supporters back. So we had the BLM and Antifa riots in 2020. Combine that with the ridiculous shutdowns in all these blue states, putting businesses um, out of business, bankrupting small businessmen, and doing nothing about the COVID rate while they get haircuts and go to fancy restaurants, I might add. And those two things, the COVID shutdowns, um, and, and city after city burning while the media lies to us, I thought, oh, my gosh, now he has a chance. So as you know, when we talked about it um, this summer in, in August, my, my position was, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen. And the American people ended up doing exactly what I wanted to happen. We pretty much had a red wave below the presidential election. I mean, it's, it, I, I'm, I'm still really happy about the election, very upset about Georgia, which I blame on Trump, um, but in any event. Uh, still, the Democrats were supposed to have this huge blue tsunami, pick up 15 seats in the House. Our polls showed the Democrats were picking up 15 seats. No, instead, Republicans picked up seats. I think, I think we may have picked up 15. Those, um, there's at least one congressional race in New York State um, that Democrats are still trying to steal. Um, it's very close. The Republican is, is now ahead by, I don't know, like 20 votes or something. Um, Tenny is her name. And um, in the Senate, yeah, okay, we lost two. We were supposed to lose a lot more than that. We were supposed to be losing Texas. We remember John Cornyn, um, Olymp uh, Olympia Snow up in Maine, um, um, Ohio. Uh, um, we were supposed to lose many, many Senate seats. No. Oh, oh, and, oh and of course. Oh, Lindsey, Lindsey Graham. They, they threw all that Lindsey money and they were going after Lindsey Graham, yeah. And, of course, the two we, we did lose, Arizona and Colorado, but we picked up a seat in Alabama. So, so the end result is not so bad, though, unfortunately, we don't have control of the Senate. Um, and what I loved about the election was it shows, well, I mean, who knows, who knows if, if, if Trump's ideas are popular or not. I think, the, I think at least half the vote voting for Trump can't stand the man. 
but are terrified of the Democrats, absolutely terrified of them. Um, they ran the best candidate they could run, in a sense, the most moderate of them, the least woke ID politics, yes, admittedly a dementia patient. So, so what Republicans need to be looking for is someone who will run on the national populist agenda that Trump ran on and then completely betrayed his supporters on. But this time we've got to get somebody who won't betray the people who vote for him. Speaking of Ann Coulter, best-selling author, AnnCoulter.com, for her latest column. And uh, I've spoken to some Democrats, actually, recently about this. I'm wondering what your take is, because you wrote Adios America, and that came out, and then the president was making many of the same arguments. And and I I believe there was a time when he even was willing to say, or he he let it out, that, you know, I I read Coulter's book, and I love it. He's talking about things like the wall, and these are ideas that you wrote about. Yes, and anchor babies, everything he betrayed us on. (laughs) Okay, right, but the point being that you saw these things coming, and now we have the issue of amnesty uh, that, I mean, Joe Biden is saying, we're going to push through amnesty. People are asking me, what can we do to stop it? I've had some Democrats tell me, oh, maybe the Democrats in elected office will get a little bit wishy-washy on this. I I don't see that. So then, isn't amnesty going to happen, or am I missing something? Well, I'm not good at predictions. I certainly hope it won't. And this would be my pitch to to the Democrats and to Biden, and genuinely having their their best interests in mind. Um, Whom whom is hurt the most by dumping low-wage workers on the country? Well, number one, African-Americans. And if there is any base Joe Biden owes, he owes his nomination to African-Americans. Um, I don't know if you just saw this study yesterday. I tweeted it that um, um, the, the the more Hispanic employment goes up, the more black violence goes up. Why? Their jobs are being taken. Their jobs are being taken by people coming from countries um, where, oh, wow, working for $7 an, an hour, that's like living like a king. Um, well, Americans are used to a little higher payment. So for one thing, I, I, I just think it would be a huge mistake to, to a central part of his base. Yes, there are black activists. You will see them on MSNBC. They all have jobs at Princeton. They are for, for, for amnesty. And, ooh, it's the Rainbow Coalition and the Browns and the blacks. No, 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 no. Get down to actual black and brown people. They want jobs. They want jobs that pay well. Um, If if there are moderate Republicans working for Biden, if he still has a bone of moderation in him, um, he should also know that (laughs) it it is not as, I mean, this is going around the Internet, I haven't really, or Twitter, I haven't haven't made a point of disputing this. It is not the case that if he says, I'm granting amnesty to the dreamers, that it will be only 11 million um, ask, read, read Adios America on the Agricultural Adjustment Act of the Reagan amnesty. And there have been many amnesties in addition to that one since then. Um, for that, you had to prove you had worked on a farm in the U.S. between, you know, the specific six-month period. They estimated there would be, oh, about 100,000 people. Oh, we owe them. They picked our, picked our crops for us. Um, it ended up being um, about a million including cab drivers in New York, including a couple of the terrorists from the 1997 World Trade Center bombing, had never set foot out of, out of New York City, um, illegal aliens from, I don't know, Saudi Arabia or something. Um, you mean, you they, mean the, 93, the 93 bombing, right? Sorry, sorry, yeah. is that, yeah. wait, was it 93? World Trade Center, yeah. My, how time flies, thank you. 
Uh, yes, 93. Um, and, and even the people who were working on it at the INS said that 90% of those applications for amnesty as an agricultural worker, they determined 90, more than 90%, I believe, were frauds. And yet they were all approved. So once you have an amnesty for any group out there, how are you going to prove when somebody came to America? whether their parents really brought them. No, all you are doing is opening this up um, to every, every poor person or every, I mean, in their country, a middle-class person in all of Latin America to pour in and take jobs from our working class. Well, that's already, and you've seen the caravans are already happening. I mean, they're, yeah. they're well aware of what a Biden administration means and what's coming. So that's why you have, and there's video of this. I mean, this is, anyone can go see it. It's all over the place. Thousands and thousands of people and their their process for getting through Guatemala is very similar for their process for getting into the United States at the U.S.-Mexico border, which is get a whole bunch of people together and just go. Because you're, yes. what do you do? Yes. Yes. Well, I, I mean, why not just, you know, t- I mean, Trump didn't have to be needlessly antagonistic about it. But if you if you genuinely care about the working class, as Joe Biden purports to um, and he does have his moments of non-senility still, and I'm sure he has a lot of a lot of assistants and aides who have been with him for a long time. Look, this is the the the, 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 the he is the dying remnants of the of the of the Democratic Party that gives a crap about the working class. If that means anything, it means, and especially in a year after COVID, you do not dump. Millions and unlimited to supply. I mean, currently there there are at least forty million illegal aliens in this country. Um, if you grant them all amnesty, uh, and, and you can say, oh, it's eleven million, or you can say it's 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 four million. It's only the dreamers, the dreamers. No, once that program opens up, there is no way of limiting it. You will be you will be crushing the American. Do you, do you think there's a real hope though of Biden? not then doing I mean, because that kind of goes to what these Democrats are telling me that they're that even the Democrats as a party are not totally necessarily on board for mass amnesty, which I find I I feel like they are. But do you think there's a chance they might they might get, uh, you know, squeamish, skittish? I I, I don't don't I I, (laughs) I'm I'm not good at predicting. You're going to plead the fifth on this one. Okay, we can let you plead the fifth. No, that's a prediction. I can tell you what I think they ought to do and give you the arguments for why they ought to do it. And I think I could convince them. Now they're going to have pressure from their woke base. But oh my gosh, there's there's a cornucopia of issues he can be pushing that's going to make the woke base happy. There's so many things. (laughs) There's so many things they can do. You know, go go expand. You know what? I don't know welfare and and minimum wage. Start working on um, giving out even more under Obamacare. Oh, you've got to you got you got to have the trial for for Trump. Let's get to that. Your base demands it. There are so many things he can do other than this. Just put it off a little bit longer. And before we let you go, who is the future of the Republican Party right now? Um, don't know that either. People change, so let's see what happens. Um, there are a couple I've, I'm, 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 I'm fan of, I'm a big fan of, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, um, Greg Gianforte, new governor of Montana, although um, I've got to put a footnote on that. The main reason I love Gianforte is the night before he won his election 
um, to the House of Representatives from from the great state of Montana. He punched a Guardian reporter and broke his glasses. I do recall that. Check out Ann's latest column, everybody, AnnCoulter.com. And uh, Ann, we'll have you back as this uh, this new Biden reality unfolds. So thanks for joining. Good to talk to you, Buck. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. We're going into Wednesday knowing that um, we're, get, we're ready to do the work. And we've got a lot of work to do. It's not going to be easy. As we have discussed, Joe has outlined our plan for vaccinations, our plan for recovery, and in particular relief. I am very much looking forward to be sworn in as the next vice president of the United States. And I will walk there to that moment proudly with my head up and my shoulder back. Now, what are they going to do with the first hundred days? What, what are they going to actually get accomplished? Um, you've already seen things like Biden saying he's going to uh, get rid of the Keystone XL pipeline. This is just there's going to be a lot of this. Things that are nonsensical and and really only harmful as policy, but that appeal to a certain favored constituency of the Democrat Party. There's going to be there's going to be a fair amount of that. So you'll see executive orders on on things like Keystone XL. Uh, A lot of it's funny. I've heard people that I know who operate in the corporate world. um, I've heard people who. We'll talk about D and I. And I, I kept thinking, what would D? At first, I, I would think about this and say D and I, like the director of national intelligence. What, what is, but we're talking about, you know, Goldman Sachs or we're talking about, uh, uh, you know, corporate Walmart hiring practices or something. What do you mean D and I? Oh, D and I, diversity and inclusion. Uh, you're going to have a lot more of that. I, I can see that. Uh, the transgender uh, Pennsylvania state health official who was uh, who, who pulled uh, pulled her um, pulled her father or mother, I forget one of her parents out of the uh, nursing home system in Pennsylvania uh, while other people were all suffering horribly in Pennsylvania, very high COVID numbers. Anyway, the first transgender senior public senior public health official, I think first transgender transgender um, might have to be sent. I'm not sure if, if it's Senate confirmed or not, but you see a lot of that as I'm trying a lot of diversity and inclusion stuff, a lot of, you know, oh, this is the first of or the first person to or whatever it may be. So you'll see a lot of that. And the, the, the places, though, that I think we have to be the most aware of the the left really ramming through the agenda is going to be this the spending that they do and how they distribute money under the guise of covid relief uh there's going to be a a ton of money we already know this ton of money given to blue cities and 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 shoring up their budgets places like new york and los angeles i still think they have enormous problems over the long term because of the outflow of people uh but there's going to be there's going to be a lot of that that goes on just the cash that will be sloshing around uh, taxpayer cash and Democrats are going to feel like they have a very free hand to distribute it. That's going to be something that I I don't know. We can't really stop it, you know, because they'll use reconciliation if they have to remember that budgetary trick of reconciliation, which they did use for 
part of Obamacare back in the day as well, when they finally lost their supermajority. Um, but there, there's a lot. Oh, you know, I didn't speak about uh, pardons today, and I meant to. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll get into that more tomorrow when it's Trump's last day and there may actually be the pardons. I'll just say this one. Uh, I, I think that the case against Assange is highly flawed. I don't think you can commit espionage by releasing classified information when you're not a U.S. citizen and you've never had a security clearance. Uh, so I think that's I think there's real merit to that. Um, I think that I, the Kiriakou thing, I'd have to look at some more. I mean, they, they did him dirty. I mean, the, the guy didn't need to go to prison. Uh, so I, I, look, I would support a pardon for Kiriakou. I would support a I would support a pardon for Julian Assange, uh, which as a former intel official, I know is like sacrilege. But the charges they're bringing against him, I don't I don't support sharing all that classified information out there. I mean, I don't think that was I don't think that was a a good move, a helpful move. But I also don't think that he broke U.S. law by doing it. I think that's a stretch. And uh, who else is? Oh, and Tiger King. Bruce or Mark, should Tiger King be pardoned? You know, I never watched it still. Okay, so we got to we got to make producer Mark watch Tiger King. We'll see if he should be pardoned. Oh, and Lil Wayne. Producer Mark, should Lil Wayne be pardoned? Sure, I liked his music back in the day. I like Lil Wayne too. Pardon Lil Wayne. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. Like soft butter on warm toast, it's time to spread some freedom from coast to coast. It's time for Roll Call. Awesome. What is this? Like a... like the soundtrack to a you know espionage thriller or something. What do we think? It's your Mark? theme song. Ooh, you hey, didn't hear this in the guys. background in your head when you were doing CIA stuff. No, always, always. I I did have the, the if if I had to pick the be, for me the best espionage look the best espionage song or whatever you know, the best spy thriller soundtrack of all time is of course the James Bond theme. Nothing ever really can compare to that. But beyond that, if you're asking for an overall espionage thriller soundtrack i actually have to say the first born identity had some really really cool stuff the first born identity movie soundtrack because i've seen that movie so many times that i actually know the music pretty well um they did a very good job on that one i've got to say and i some of the some of the soundtrack from the movie the saint which is a 90s flick that my, it's funny, my brothers and I, we always argue about movies and TV shows. It's like our way of bonding, especially action or thriller, you know, movie, TV shows. Um, and and they thought that The Saint was so bad, it's good. But I thought it was pretty just solid overall. I don't know. I thought it was pretty watchable. Have you ever seen a producer, Mark? I have not, no. Uh, it's got Val Kilmer. It's a little little cheesy in some parts, but it's got some good stuff. Uh, not exactly a ringing endorsement. Yeah, I mean, look, I wouldn't rush out to see it. If you could watch it for free, if it appeared on your Netflix queue or something, I'd say give it a go. Um, Elizabeth Shue is in it, best known perhaps for being the girlfriend of Ralph Macchio and the Karate Kid. Uh, so she's in it. And uh, she's also now in the she actually is the kind of bad lady in the first season of The Boys on Amazon. That is so, on my list. I've wanted to watch it for a while. Oh, wait, you haven't seen that, Mark? No, not yet. 100%. You will love. Go to the top, top of producer Mark's queue. 
I'm, I'm, put, I'm planting a flag on this one, man. You will like the boys a lot. You'll be into it. Okay, I'll put it. Very there. interesting take on. So you, you know how Game of Thrones. Oh, actually, you didn't see Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones took the Dungeons and Dragons, Lord of the Rings, you know, genre and added like kind of sex, drugs and rock and roll to it a little bit. Uh, the boys takes the superhero motif and runs in a very dark but highly entertaining direction with it. I've heard that about Umbrella Academy also. That's something else I wanted to watch. It seems I didn't they, check that one similar. Out. Yeah, yeah. But I, th- I think the boys, you, I mean, I, I, you got to watch that. Do you, that's, but that, I, don't, I don't know if Mrs. Mark would like that one. That, that, it, she, does she like superhero stuff? She does. She always likes all the Marvel stuff with me. So I think Yeah, then you, you, guys could, you guys could rock that one together. And the first episode, will you, will you try to get it in maybe this weekend? You and Mrs. Mark should try that. Unless you're in the middle of something else right now, season-wise. No, we're not. So I think, I think we can try it this weekend. All right, we'll get. I'll, we're going to get a report. Her at least. We're going to get a report from producer Mark on the boys for all of you. He'll do his. Uh, the penalty box is going to review the boys on Amazon, um, and I'm I'm trying to get my little sister who's very busy. She's got an adorable new boy, newborn baby boy. So I'm now an uncle, as we know, Uncle Buck. I'm trying to get her to join me for movie night this week. Uh, Snow Princess is out of town uh, on some business, and and I'm I'm trying to do movie night this week with little little sis. Uh, and I want her to watch. She's never seen Big Trouble in Little China, and we're gonna watch it together. I've well, maybe seen it a hundred times, but I don't care. We're gonna we're gonna order and take out and watch Big Trouble in Little China, and she's gonna have my mom babysit the uh, the baby for the night. So that's what I was gonna ask. Who watches the baby? Oh, my mom. My mom is like super babysitter. She's Grammy. Grammy has already raised four kids, so she's like, uh, you know, it's like she's a machine sent from the future to raise children perfectly. Like she knows what she's doing. Is Grammy know? her official name? Like, did she pick that? I call her that sometimes. I don't know. We got to, you know, I feel like, you know, what ends up happening? Did this happen in your family, too? The baby ends up naming, I feel like, the grandparents, you know, calls them, yeah. uh, you know, like I had a great grandmother named Gaga because that's what my one of my aunts called her, you know, not Lady Gaga, of course, but called her Gaga uh, before she could say grandma. I don't you know remember I mean? where my grandmother's name came from. I don't know who called her at first, but my grandmother was Bubby, which is Yiddish for grandmother. Right. Well, they, you know, that's what I mean. Like, I feel like people come up. Grandparents, all a lot of them get names. I don't know. Like, I, you know, I called my grandfather um, uh, on my mom's side. We just called him Paul, which, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people call people, maybe their dad or their granddad, Paul. Uh, and then I called my other grandmother, Grandma. But we kind of didn't pronounce the the ND. It was, it was kind of just gram, grandma, like G-R-A-M-A. Um, so, yeah, people come up with, with names for grandparents out there. I feel like that's a pretty standard one. But And you've probably never seen Big Trouble in Little China, right? I have not, no. That's, that's like 80s. I don't know if you'll love it, so I can't tell you. But, I mean, the boys, you and Mrs. Mark, top of the list. And uh, tell everybody what you think about that one. And now we have, top of our list, Roll Call and... For that, I turn to all of you. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. Make sure you also go and check in at the site, BuckSexton.com. We had an editorial up there today that is uh, catching on like wildfire online. So would uh, very much like all of you to check that one out. If you could, please share it on your Facebook page. That'd be great. All right. Sarah writes, hey, Buck and Mark. I recently discuss, I recently uh, know you've discussed losing some of your listeners and people who follow you on social media. Fear not, I will continue listening on iHeartRadio or Freedom 93.7 in Denver. 
Could some of your social media breakups have to do with people dropping the platforms more than dropping the Buckster? About six weeks ago, I deactivated my Facebook account, deactivated my Twitter account several months back, and deactivated my Instagram tonight. Of course, that means I am no longer following you or anyone else on any of those platforms. I have one other question I'd like your opinion on. Now that the Democrats control the Senate, how much do you think we can rely on Joe Manchin, the self-described conservative Democrat, to vote on common sense laws instead of the Democrats' wish list so that we don't have to get Tom, uh, Kamala to be the tiebreaker? Uh, Sarah, first off, what you're saying is true, and and I appreciate you raising this so I can tell everybody there are there are multiple things going on at the same time in conservative media right now, conservative social media. Uh, one is that there has been a purge of accounts by the social media giants. If you had hashtag stop the steal or hashtag anything Q Q anon related, things like that, they just uh, suspended and deactivated thousands and thousands of accounts. So a lot of a lot of people have been caught up in that. Um, there are also people who have voluntarily deactivated at some level. Right? There are people who have decided they are no longer going to be following anyone as you have on those platforms. And I think that there was ang- I mean, I know there was some anger about people like me who who condemned the uh, Capitol Hill riot right away. And by the way, I, I don't say that like, oh, look at me. I condemn it. I think it's obvious. I mean, I I think this is as straightforward a proposition as you'll find. Was the riot bad? Yes, it's bad. Don't do that. People shouldn't have done that. Uh, You know, there are some things that are that are black and white. There's some things that are right or wrong. And this is one of them. Um, You know, it's very straightforward. Uh, So, yes, Sarah, I, I think that that's multiple things coming together. But you raise that there are people who have just decided to consciously uncouple. Uh, from social media, I guess you could say. And that's uh, that's one of them. Um, uh, let, what, oh, yes. And you asked about Manchin. I don't know. I'd like to tell you that Manchin will hold the line and and not not bow to pressure in the Senate on Democrat agenda items that are really left wing and ra- radical. But think about all the pressure they'll be able to bring. Think about all the inducements. You know, vanity is such a powerful tool when it comes to getting politicians to do what you want. And even for someone like Manchin, as long as he feels like he's on safe ground for reelection in West Virginia, you know, does he want the media to treat him as a as a as a moderate and a maverick who can go both ways, but, you know, still gets it done for the Democrats? Or does he want to be a hateful, evil Trump supporting, you know, awful person who stands athwart the Democrat agenda? That's a real thing. You know, that's a, that's a concern. That's a consideration that I think people need to take into account as we look at all of this. Hank, next up here. Uh, hey, Bucket producer Mark. Time to take a good look at Hollywood's involvement in all of this. The blatant hypocrisy they exude is unbearable. I live in California and work in the film business. The hospitals are full. The deaths are climbing. But Newsom and Garcetti have declared the film business essential workers and toilet paper commercials are still being made while stores are out of toilet paper. If anyone gets injured on set or on their way to or from, they will need one of those coveted hospital beds, but they still work full steam over the years. A large, a large portion of the film business has relocated to Georgia 
and brought a lot of money there. It makes me wonder what the connections are to the state with the strangest election problems. I suppose it's a good place to start following the money. Shields high. Uh, Hank, um, yeah, I mean, what you're saying about Hollywood is interesting. I, I'm not up on what the film industry, uh, you know, uh, loopholes are for this period of, of COVID lockdown, nor do I know all that much about how much of Hollywood has moved to uh, the state of Georgia. I, I know for a while they were doing a lot of production up in like Vancouver and parts of Canada because it was so much cheaper to do there than to do it in California. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of wonder where they're doing all these shows for Netflix and all this new production. I can't imagine it's all happening or, or even a majority of it's happening in Los Angeles proper, but I'm not up on it, Hank. So you, you raise an interesting an interesting question. I, I just don't know. Uh, all right, Kit, next up here. Uh, first, let me preface this by saying I'm an original Saturday Squad listener. Love your show, in particular the History Deep Dives. I listen to every show via the podcast, so I'm a few days behind. I am a bit frustrated with you, though. Please uh, stop giving the left fuel by saying we did not come up with evidence of fraud or that there was not enough evidence. In Pennsylvania alone, the fact that there were over 200,000 more votes than there were voters is 100% evidence of fraud enough to change the results, and that should have nullified the entire vote of that state. It wasn't that there wasn't enough evidence. It's that the courts would not allow it to be heard. That is a total system failure. If the courts were not going to function properly when it counted the most, what recourse do we have? They were the last line of defense. Keep up the great work, though. I still love your show and everything about it. Shields high. Well, kid, I appreciate it. And, and, and honest, uh, honest, constructive criticism or just criticism from from anybody out there who listens that comes from a place of wanting this show to be better. I appreciate it. And that's why I'll even read it on air. We've got more messages coming into the inbox than we can ever get to in one day. But I think we also need to hear from people that have uh, a bone to pick with me or think that I'm a little bit off on something. I, I share that with with folks so that we, we have all different perspectives and opinions from the conservative side. Uh, and by the way, if there's a liberal that has an interesting take that wants to write in, I'll read that, too. I'm just not going to read the liberal stuff with all the curse words in it and whatever, because that's a waste of everybody's time. Uh, so uh, so, kid, I'll, I'll say this. The the stuff you've heard, some of it. Um, and and I, I say this, I do say this respectfully. Some of what was said about election fraud was just not accurate. And in, in Pennsylvania, for example, and I've talked to Sean Parnell extensively about this, some of it was that the the actual state voter system was not updated with the right numbers. And so it seemed like there were massive overvotes happening uh, based on registered voters, but they actually needed to update the registrations that were in the system that appeared on the statewide site. Um, and you say that there are more people who voted then could have voted and that that should nullify the vote. Well, the problem with that is who did they vote for, Kit? H how do we know? Right. And, and so what are you, you're going to nullify? So you're going to take everyone's votes in that state and say that it didn't count, even even assuming what you're telling me. And I'm telling you that that's actually not that there weren't 200,000 more votes than voters in Pennsylvania. I've, I've looked at this. I've checked the numbers. I know we've been told that. I know that's been out there. Um, but even if that were true, there were millions of people who voted in Pennsylvania. So you're going to throw out all of those votes 
And and then, you know, what, what happens? And by the way, even if you did that, even if Pennsylvania had been thrown out, Joe Biden still would have had enough in the Electoral College to win. So it's not that there and I've never said there was no evidence of fraud. There clearly were there were problems. And they've even admitted even Democrats admit there were a couple of dead people who voted here, a couple of dead people voted there. I mean, that's fraud. So there's there's obviously some fraud. But it's could we prove it to a level where it would have changed the course or changed the outcome of the election? And, and that's where our, the efforts to date were they were insufficient. And, and I know this is a tough thing to hear. I know people don't like to hear it, but that's where we are. And kid, I appreciate you being an original Saturday Squad listener, OSS, and now going on, you know, almost a decade of listening to the show. Uh, I hope that. Uh, the Freedom Hut producer Mark and I will continue to serve you as well as we have up to this point. So thank you very much for writing in. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Follow Buck on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right, next up here, Jesse. Buck, I appreciated your statement regarding how we were led on by certain parties. And while I appreciated the fight, false hope was not what we needed. No cracking, no Senate wins, nothing but disappointment, feeling very let down all around. Jesse, I totally agree. And there were people who were peddling false hope about the election. We need to come to grips with that. That's the truth. I will say the ploy for unity is no more serious than Russia collusion. And all I can say as a man of your age is I thought adults were better than this. Where are the adults in the room, in Congress and in the Senate? Where is the ability to discuss issues without hack job tactics and faulty smears? We have real issues like our debt, which is only compounded by these absurd lockdowns and covid prevention nonsense where the facts are still ignored. And we still can't speak because they're actively censoring our speech. I thought silence was violence. Guess that's just one more hypocrisy. The left is guilty of Yet Here I am feeling fairly hopeless. What are we supposed to do? Oh, Jesse, I wish I had an answer or a, a perfect response or something that I feel like you know, can take this pitch you've thrown and I can just crack it into the upper deck for a homer like the producer Mark baseball. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have an easy one here. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have a way to tell you that this is all going to work out for us. We just have to batten down the hatches, prepare for what's coming. Remember who we are. Remember what we're all about and, and try to convince as many of our fellow Americans as possible as we enter this new course of a Biden Harris presidency that it is not a good course for the country. That's where we are now, and we continue to keep our shields high.